Before we get into this week's episode, we wanted to give you a quick trigger warning. If you struggle with disordered eating or eating disorders, some of what we're discussing might be triggering for you. Hi, I'm Nicole Goodman. And I'm Lauren Mishkon. The advice for self-care today is endless and can be yet another overwhelming job for women. Every episode, we trial a different self-care practice, live it to the letter for a week and report back to you on the results. Will it actually improve your well-being or will it be another waste of your time? We test out self-care so you don't have to. Welcome to Self-Care Club, wellness road tested. What are you having for lunch, Lauren? Sorry, what did you say? I can't hear you. I'm very busy listening to what my body's telling me. What's it saying? It's saying, you are hungry and you want Nicole's mum's egg mayo on a bagel with lots of butter. My God, that sounds delicious. Why is mine saying that it wants a bloody spinach and kale smoothie? Because you always go on what is the healthiest choice and what we are told is best for us. But I am convinced that actually you would vastly prefer the bagel. So I'm confused now. Do I want the juice? I don't want the juice. No, listen, don't panic. All will be revealed because this week we are practicing intuitive eating. I'm Nicole Goodman. And I'm Lauren Mishkon. And this is Self Care Club Wellness Road Tested. We enlisted the help of Alyssa Rumsey, and she very kindly agreed to be part of the show and bring her expertise here to the club. Alyssa Rumsey, MSRD, CDN, CSCS, is a registered dietitian, nutritional therapist, certified intuitive eating counselor, and the author of Unapologetic Eating, Making Peace with Food and Transform Your Life. Alyssa is passionate about advocating for women to reclaim the space to eat and live unapologetically. She is the founder of Alyssa Rumsey Nutrition and Wellness, a weight-inclusive nutrition practice that offers virtual counseling and online programs to help people liberate themselves from dieting, cultivate a peaceful relationship to food in their bodies, and live a more authentic, connected life. Her expertise has been featured in hundreds of media outlets, and she speaks regularly at events, online trainings, and conferences around the country. Intuitive eating is a philosophy of eating that makes you the expert of your body and its hunger signals. Essentially, it's the opposite of a traditional diet and a path to cultivating a healthier relationship with food, mind, and body. It doesn't impose any rules about what or when to eat or not eat, but instead teaches that you are the best person and the only person to make those choices. Intuitive eating says you should eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, which sounds pretty obvious, and it should come very naturally, but for many of us, sadly, it doesn't. And why? Two words, diet culture. How do we stay out of that diet culture messaging when it is absolutely everywhere and it's so indoctrinated in us and in everything that we read and consume? Oh, yes. Diet culture is is everywhere. And I think it's it's giving ourselves a lot of compassion of, you know, we've been swimming in this diet culture society basically our whole lives. Um, and, you know, the first step, and this is, these steps are not necessarily linear, but the first step is just continuing to like both reflect upon how diet culture messaging has been harmful um, to you personally, I think also like zooming out and looking at the bigger collective can be really powerful. Um, but really thinking about like, okay, where has this taken me? What road has, have I gone down with this? How has this been harmful to me? 
Um, and you know, I kind of talk to my clients about coming back to your why and it's like, okay, we understand why this is, is tempting because it is everywhere, but like, why are you trying to divest from this and doing something else? And, and generally it's because that has led them down this path where, um, you know, not only is it usually not worked in the sense of, you know, diet culture tells us how thin bodies are better and you have to lose weight to be healthy. And, you know, for most people, they've been either like yo-yoing or a lot of people tell me I'm the heaviest I've ever been after doing all these diets. Um, but also, you know, what it's done to you mentally, to your time, to your energy, and just like, I think keep coming back to this. Okay. This is harmful for me. This is not taking care of myself. And then, you know, what's the, the why, um, so that's something that, you know, having this reflection to start with and keep coming back to that is important. And then the other thing is just continuing to bring awareness to the ways in which diet culture and diet mentality show up. And, you know, I often say it's one of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it just feels like what you just said, right? Like, it, oh my gosh, it's yeah. everywhere. Um, but the more we're aware of it, then... And this is where kind of the mindfulness piece comes in, which I know you both have have talked about. But the more you're aware of it, then instead of just reacting of like, oh, I should lose weight or, oh, do I need to try this diet? It's like, okay, pausing, being like, this is diet culture. This is not going to be helpful for me. And so having just the awareness allows this space to open up where it's not just like a reaction to it. Diet culture plays an enormous part in teaching us how, when, and what we eat. This toxic conditioning leads us away from trusting our own body and its own intuition, resulting in us missing the hunger and four cues our body naturally communicates to us. To eat intuitively, you will need to relearn how to trust your body and how to listen to it. At what point do people come and see you, Alyssa? Or is it all different? Um, it does run the gamut. I would say that in the last couple of years, as intuitive eating has come more into the mainstream, at this point, the majority of people who come to me have heard of it, kind of get the gist, you know, sometimes have read the book and think, okay, intellectually, this makes so much sense, but then just aren't sure how to do it themselves or have been trying to do it, but are like getting stuck because it's very different from, um, you know, kind of traditional dieting. And, um, so I would say that's the majority of people now, like they're aware of it. They're usually aware of like, okay, dieting has not really worked. I want to try something else. What would be the very first steps that you would help them along with to start off intuitive eating? So, well, I think, um, you know, what we just spoke about, about really reflecting on what, dieting has done to you in the past or how that's mm -hmm. been been harmful, I think is really important. Um, and then also that second part that I mentioned around like raising the awareness. So it's very common <laughs> as humans, we want to do, we want to fix. We're like, this yes. is a problem. I want to fix it. Yes. Um, and really, you know, I work with my clients on a longer term basis and I say to them, like, look, first couple of months, it's really just going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of raising awareness and starting to just notice and try to notice with curiosity rather than with judgment and rather than with kind of the negative self-talk that happens. Um, because until we're aware of why we do certain things, what beliefs, what thoughts, what feelings are behind our behaviors then it's really just kind of putting a bandaid over it. Yep. Um, and so that awareness is, is so important. 
So I would say that's the big thing. And then the other piece in terms of starting is just checking in with yourself, like practicing. This can be really hard at first, but practicing asking what sounds good to me right now? You know, how hungry am I? What am I hungry for? Um, What kind of taste am I in the mood for? And just really continuing, you know, ideally, like every time you go to eat, just checking in with yourself. And it's okay if you're like, I have no freaking idea. That's normal because if you haven't been in this practice of checking in with your own body and have been eating for external reasons or like, well, this is a good food, this is bad, or I'm going to be good today or I'm not, um, it takes a lot of practice. But as you start to do that day over day, you'll start to notice little shifts and just notice more. The term intuitive eating was coined in 1995 as the title of a book by Evelyn Trebole and Elise Reich. However, the concept has roots in earlier ideas. Early pioneers include Susie Orbach, who published Fat is a Feminist Issue in 1978, and Ganine Roth, who's written about emotional eating since 1982. The program is built on the principle that diets don't work and that lifestyle changes and personal care are much more important for long-term health. So unlike dieting, learning how to eat intuitively is not measured by pounds lost or inches shed. In fact, weighing yourself can hinder the intuitive eating process. Oh, I love it already. It's very beautiful. Once you start listening and hearing what your body is communicating to you, it's like a whole new language. You're in touch with a whole new part of yourself. It's actually a very interesting conversation because it can change day to day minute to minute. And actually those questions that you were saying that we should ask ourselves, like what taste do I want right now? What am I in the mood for? How hungry am I? That to me feels very empowering. And fun. Like, isn't that the best way to eat? And so fun, which is the complete opposite of how we are trained and all the messaging around us. Mm. And so suddenly there's this empowering practice around how we nourish ourselves. Mm. It's very, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I have to ask, um, with intuitive eating, do you put on weight? That's my first question. And then to add to that, how do we, because I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but how do we then let go of putting on weight and becoming bigger, potentially becoming bigger Mm -hmm. with this Mm -hmm. practice? Yeah. So, well, to answer the first part, do you put on weight with intuitive eating? It really depends, you know, for people who have been dieting and restricting, even if not like technically a quote unquote diet, but have been restricting, um, then we have kind of this honeymoon phase when we are allowing more permission and sort of like experimenting and, and yeah, that is pretty common for people to put on that weight, especially during that phase. Um, and especially if on top of that, they've been like really restricting, um, you know, and then I think, and that phase can go on for like, usually up to like a year. Like it's not just like a couple weeks or a month, like, you know, again, depends on the person, depends on, um, kind of where they are in life and what their history is, but yeah, it can be months of sort of your weight kind of going up and down a bit. Um, and you know, in the long run, you know, some people gain, some people lose, some people stay exactly the same or kind of settle where, where they were. Um, and it's so much of this process is about just trusting in the process and trusting in my body is going to do what it needs to do. Um, 
focusing on, and I think what I love about intuitive eating is that it really centers the the person and taking care of oneself in a way that's not from this place of restriction or deprivation, but rather, you know, from like self-care and, mm-hmm. and nourishment. Um, now, all of that being said, it makes a lot of sense why the idea of putting on weight can be really, really scary. And, you know, totally understandable if you're doing this process and there's still part of you, small part, or maybe a large part that is hoping that you'll lose weight. Um, because again, we live in this culture that puts thin people on a pedestal. And in many ways it is easier to be in a a smaller body in our society. Um, so I think it's, it's a both and it's acknowledging these things, right? Like me, I'm naturally in a small body. So even if I had gained some weight during my process, that would have maybe impacted my own personal body image, but not how people outside treat me. But if you're someone who is in a larger body, yeah, you are probably getting treated differently by by society, both on an individual level and in a systemic uh, level. And I think we have to acknowledge that, that this happens and it fucking sucks and it's so unfair. Say that again. Um, And yeah, it's really like struggling to accept your body in, you know, this patriarchal, like white supremacist society we live in is really, really tough, but also it's not your fault. And I think, you know, I've had this conversation with a client the other day of if we zoom out and just look at this bigger picture of, you know, we feel badly about our bodies because we've been taught to, and like, because we've been purposefully taught to, right. Because Mm -hmm. like systemically, it's easier for those in power to control groups of people if they're trying to pursue this like very unrealistic ideal. Um, And so I think, you know, holding all of this of like, okay, it's so understandable. It is harder um, in this fat phobic society that we live in to, to live in a larger body. Um, But also coming back to that, why, you know, what has your past history of, of dieting and trying to shrink yourself? What has that done to you physically, emotionally, mentally? Um, and then, you know, what most people will say, you know, is that it keeps them in this like binge restrict sort of pendulum or in this dieting cycle of, you know, just continuing to like obsess and feel out of control around food and just taking up so much brain space and time. Um, so, you know, everybody has body autonomy and needs to do what feels best for them. But if continuing to try to pursue weight loss or shrink your body is holding you back in other areas of your life, I think, you know, asking yourself like, okay, is this worth it? Is this Mm. still something Mm. that I want to do? Mm. I think that's so beautiful. Thank you for answering that. That is a beautiful way. And it, it makes me think, and I always say this to my own coaching clients who I've coached through body image and body positivity myself. And I always say, are you going to lay, if someone at your eulogy says, oh yes, she was really thin, then you've lived life completely wrong. And no one would ever mention that. So when yeah. push comes to shove, that's just not important. But yeah, we make, we make so much of our existence about that. Intuitive eating has been shown to have many health outcomes, including improved cholesterol levels, better body image, higher self-esteem, improved metabolism, decreased rates of disordered and emotional eating, diminished stress levels, and increased satisfaction with life. Sounds great. It does. First thing I want to ask is when do you think is a good time 
for someone to start intuitive eating? I think it's something that could be started anytime. I think it's something that, um, you know, it does take time and energy, um, to do, but, and sometimes people think like, well, you know, the holidays are coming up or this event's happening, but, you know, I think no matter what it's no time is ever going to be the quote unquote right time. And with intuitive eating, the, so much of it is cultivating awareness. And if anything, I actually find for a lot of the people I work with that starting around some like a busy time of year can actually be helpful because they're, they can like use that awareness and it helps not just with their, you know, food behaviors and relationship to food, but other things as well. Now, as much as I don't want there to be any downsides to this mm, yeah. at self-care club, we do like to give a full rounded review of any practice that we are trying. So whilst this is an amazing practice to cultivate a better relationship with food, is this for everybody? Well, no, it's not for everyone, says Monica Moreno, a registered dietitian. It's worth noting that people with some health issues might need to get a little extra help from a dietitian or a doctor if they want to try it out. Uh, I have Crohn's disease, Moreno adds, so I cannot intuitively eat some of the things or my gut will react poorly. Next up, if you've got a serious fitness goal, then intuitive eating may or may not be a good fit for you. So an example of that would be if you're a runner and you're trying to practice intuitive eating, but you find that your appetite is never high enough to fuel you for your runs. So Walsh explains that you may find yourself feeling lethargic or tired, and you may need to consciously incorporate additional snacks or food on days when you're planning to run, even if you're not necessarily hungry. But isn't day. that exactly what intuitive eating is? It's your body talking to you. So if you are that runner who does need more calories and is lethargic or tired, isn't that part of the intuitive process? Your body is telling you what it needs. Well, I guess it's not telling you I am hungry. So it's not intuitively telling you I'm hungry, but what's happening no, is it's you're telling you it's tired. It's telling well, you it's, it's telling tired. You tired and you can't do the run. So your intuition may not be saying I'm hungry, but actually in practical terms, you just need to eat. So that's why they're saying it might not work for marathon runners because internally they may not feel the hunger but to be able to do what they need to do they have to eat that extra food so it's I would, I would say that intuition speaks in a whole manner of ways and it's not just about mm. telling you when it's hungry it's, it's telling you how your body's performing it's telling you how your body's energies are working right so overeating is another issue. People who are new to intuitive eating can commonly exhibit a diet rebellion, says Lauren Mulhame, who is a psychologist and author. When the diet rules are suspended, people can eat large quantities of foods that they may have restricted for many years, she says. They may feel out of control, which could be terrifying for them. Yes, I can understand that. If you're if you've restricted and controlled food for many years, but then I would also argue that that is not intuitive eating. You ha you're not intuitively eating, you're just binging. That's yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, some people might also gain weight initially, which depending on your goal could be upsetting, says Walsh. So it's important to realize that weight gain might just be temporary as you figure out how to respond to your innate hunger and your fullness cues, or weight gain might be favorable for those people who've struggled with an eating disorder in the past. And this is why it's important to work with a registered dietitian or a mental health professional if you are someone who has a history of an eating disorder. Mm. 
Okay. Uh, there also may be problems with not eating a balanced diet. So having an understanding of the food on your plate, including the food type, protein, carbs, fats, and the amount of food you're consuming. So that's your calories is essential to success with intuitive eating, says Mimi Seko, a women's health nurse practitioner. This might seem counterintuitive since you're not supposed to be counting calories. But as noted above, sometimes the freedom to eat whatever you want can lead to you overindulging in certain types of foods over others. So just having a little bit of knowledge about what your nutrition needs are is really important to ensure you're eating a balanced diet with enough overall calories. So that's fruits, veg, protein, fiber, healthy fats, and also some treats. So there are pros and cons of intuitive eating. It, it does seem more pros, but what about the studies, Nicole? I need a bit of bit of proof here. <laughs> there are over a hundred studies done on intuitive eating. A recent study found that higher levels of intuitive eating predicted lower eating disorder symptoms, and that was compared with people who are calorie counting and frequent self weighing. I thought that was really interesting. This contrasts with typical restrictive dieting, which has also been associated with increased risk of disordered eating, a risk that may be greater for those who also experience symptoms of depression and low self-esteem. While more research needs to be conducted to establish if intuitive eating can lead to weight loss, the positive effects on mental health and healthy eating behavior are very promising. But intuitive eating is not a diet. So yes. it's not it's not about weight loss. So yeah. the studies done on it for weight loss, I haven't even yes. bothered looking at because that's that's not it, what this is. It, yeah, absolutely. It goes against the grain of what intuitive eating is about, yeah, right? Sure. Some studies have focused on whether intuitive eating improved diet quality since its main focus is on eating when hungry rather than the type of food one will eat. Studies have been mixed with some groups of intuitive eating not improving diet quality while others do. Um, I guess it that is very personal about what someone's eating. Absolutely. One study found improvement in intuitive eating scores as well as diet quality after the intervention and at the one-year follow-up. And those who only seem to adopt the concept of unconditional permission to eat may not alter their diet quality, but those who focus on eating for physical reasons do seem to make more nutritious food choices. Thought that was interesting too. Yeah. So in summary, intuitive eating has many, many benefits, as you've just heard. It includes improving eating behavior, which I think is a huge one amongst women. Um, it improves your relationship with food as well. However, it is not always simple to adopt, especially for those who already suffer from disordered eating or eating disorders. Working with a professional trained intuitive eating who can support you through the work can help you to adopt this eating pattern for yourself, leading to a longer, more sustainable eating pattern for a healthier lifestyle and body. So that is exactly what we did. This episode is sponsored by Horizon Studios. If you're traveling this year and looking for high quality, sustainable and beautifully designed luggage, then look no further than Horizon Studios, who've launched two new ranges. The RE series, the world's most sustainable 97% recycled luggage, and now the revolutionary Air series, the world's lightest high-end suitcase. If you have airport anxiety, worrying about the weight of your case when it goes on those scales, then the Air Series is for you and it is definitely for me. The Air Series pushes the boundaries of travel. Each detail is designed and engineered to combine an ultralight and durable product. It's significantly lighter than regular suitcases. Thank goodness, Lauren, that is brilliant. And it comes with a lifetime warranty because the most sustainable suitcase is the one that you only buy once. 
We used the cases to go to Paris and Wales last year, and as chronic overpackers, we could still wheel them around with ease. We could. Ultra light and compact, the Air Series is made from a premium polycarbonate hard shell with reduced thickness and a recycled lining. It's 100% vegan and produced in a way that is 99% waste-free, blending design and function seamlessly. So, Nicole, you can pack those extra five pairs of shoes with no stress. The entire range is available on the Horizon Studios website and in all leading department stores. Just go to www.horizon-studios.com. Horizon Studios. Let's go further. This episode is brought to you by Notion. Have you ever stumbled upon a tool that feels like it's been tailor-made for you? Well, that's exactly how we feel about Notion. Simply and beautifully designed with all your notes and docs in one place and the power of AI built inside. It's where every idea, task and episode comes to life effortlessly. Notion merges creativity with productivity seamlessly. Whether we're planning out our episode schedule, collabing on show notes or tracking guest invitations, it's perfect for those who may be becoming a little forgetful in midlife. Hey, just the other day, we used it to map out an entire season of our podcast in record time. And that's why Notion has become an indispensable part of our podcasting toolkit. It even wrote this intro for us. Notion is more than just a workspace. It's our secret weapon for success in the digital age. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but getting inspired. Notion is for everyone, CEOs, students and Lauren if she can manage to navigate it anyone can mm. try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash self care club that's all lowercase letters notion.com slash self care club and start turning ideas into action and when you use our link you're supporting our show notion.com slash self care club this week at Sukarnov. On WrestleMe this week, we talked about the worst way to accept a Hall of Fame award. They were just talking, you suck it. You suck and then he pours milk over <laughs> milk over what his is head. This? Pouring milk over yourself is absolutely something that if you did it once in any scenario, people would never forget it. <laughs> we were just having Christmas dinner and, and like, you know, he just poured <laughs> two litres of milk over himself. Or if you're more in the mood for some awkward anecdotes, Alex shared his experience with the cast of a Horizon on this week's Clash of the Titles. We meet Smitty, played by Sean Pertwee, a man who I bumped into in a bar having never interviewed and literally chewed his ear off, trapped him in a corner of a booth where he couldn't actually stand up and get away from me and talk to him incessantly about this film. Later on in the night, his wife said to me, Sean's outside if you want to carry on talking to him about Event Horizon. (laughs) (laughs) All that and more. At Sukarnov. So let's talk about how we went about this practice. Well, there are so many articles and tips on how to try and do intuitive eating. So I picked a few of my personal favorites for Lauren and myself to try. Here's what we did. Number one. We let our body be our guide, which means you disallow any diet culture to guide you into how to feed your body. Your body is the best guide into what it needs. And our job for intuitive eating is to listen to it and trust it. Number two, honor your hunger. Check in with your body and its sensations when it's telling you it's hungry. Notice this and respect it by feeding it. No other questions in your mind, just, oh, I'm hungry, I'm going to go and eat. Keep your body biologically fed with adequate energy and carbohydrates, otherwise you can trigger a primal drive to overeat. 
Number three, respect your fullness. After so many years of dieting and eating for external reasons, many adults struggle to know when they are hungry and when to stop eating when they are comfortably full. My daughter is so brilliant at this. And I, I ask her often because she'll suddenly be in the middle and she'll chewing and then she puts her knife and fork down. She goes, done. And she pushes her plate away and there's always food left. And yeah. I said to her last week, how do you know that you're done? And she looked at me like I was mental. And I said, how do you know that that bite in your mouth is the last bite? Like, what is it? She's like, because I just don't want anymore. I mean, she couldn't simplify it more than that. And I think we've lost that art, haven't we? My son does the same thing, exactly the same, puts his knife and fork together and he says, I'm full. I actually think it's a lot to do with how we're parented because I remember, especially at school with school dinners, you finished your plate. And if you did not finish your plate, you did not go out to the playground. So I think that's drilled in. And if you do, and also a lot of mothers in the eighties did that. If you don't finish what's on your plate, I'll serve it up for breakfast. And I actually know a mother who did that. Not mine, thankfully, but I know a mother who did that. So that that was a thing. That was a thing. Finish what's on your plate. And I think that's expected of us. And I also think we put too much on our plates. We, we do put too much on our plates. Yeah. And actually, I've started putting less on my daughter's plate because she's not a brilliant eater. Mm. And I'd rather she asks for more and then she can sort of celebrate the fact that she's finished something. Totally agree. Totally. But it has become a big conversation about her and her food. And this week, I, it really highlighted it to me because yeah. I'm always like, oh, you don't eat much. So when she yeah. does eat a lot, she's always showing me her plate like it's a brilliant thing. So I'm probably conditioning her in all the wrong way. Anyway, she's so- lovely. Yeah. And she looks lovely and she looks perfect and she looks the right size for her age and she eats enough to keep her energetic and going. So I'm sure she's fine. She's very energetic. So that's respect your fullness. Number four, ask yourself what your body wants to eat. This is a brilliant one. Check in with yourself. Take a moment to really ask, what is it my body wants right now? As you learn to trust your body and its communication, cravings and overeating decrease. If you're unsatisfied, you'll probably keep looking for that one thing that is going to make you feel satisfied and content, and then you're likely to overeat. When you eat what you really want, the feelings of satisfaction and pleasure you feel will help you to feel very content in yourself. Number five, and the final one, stop labeling food as good and bad, which we mentioned before. This can be really hard to do when we live in a diet culture where food is given a moralistic value. That is foods that are seen to be associated with thinness and guiltlessness equals good, i.e. lettuce, celery equals good. And any food that doesn't fall into this category like cake, biscuits, crisps equals bad. And that's where we start restricting and forbidding the bad foods, which ultimately leads to deprivation, which then leads to cravings, which then leads to binging and then leads to guilt. And that starts another (laughs) diet to be good. And so the fucking cycle continues. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So to create a healthy relationship with food, and that is really what we're talking about here, we have to stop describing food in moralistic terms, because you know what? There is not one food that will make us thin or fat, healthy or unhealthy. All food groups are necessary for health and wellness. And to help us with our food and our snackings and possible cravings, we had a little bit of help with a gifted delivery from Good Canteen, who gave us one of their golden hour boxes. And this was full of snacks and drinks and healthy stuff to kind of get you through that hour where perhaps you might turn to something that isn't the best choice for your body. So that was lovely of them. That was a nice way of putting it, not the best choice of your body instead of good and bad. I like that. It was a beautiful box. 
Have they yeah, got gorgeous. an Instagram page that we can say here? Yes, we're going to link to it in our epilogue show. We'll put all the links to Good Canteen. And I'll also put a photo up on Instagram on our self-care club page of, of the box so you can see everything that was in it. It, it was, was really very, lovely. very beautiful. So thank you, Good Canteen, for sending that to us. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Me too. So how did you feel going into this week? Because you and I have a very different approach to food. We've been very open about this here and with one another. So I think this will be very interesting. I mean, so fucking relieved, Nicole. January has been a nightmare, a self-care club <laughs> for me. No alcohol oh, and running. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't do a third week that's going to make me feel worse. So this week was like, can just I just say something? Relief. Yeah. Can I just say something that you're not going to be happy about? Go on. I think, I think I've hooked yeah. us up potentially with the Peloton app. So we're going to oh, be doing that. <laughs> Peloton, Peloton, Listen, there's everyone's at home exercising. It's on mm. point. We need to do it. Okay, so okay. I'll confirm and let you know. So the exercise then, is definitely not over. Just let me enjoy this week of of relief of doing okay. what I I perceive as as a very easy an easy week for me. How did you feel going into it? Uh, yep. This is, I felt good about it. This is something I've actually learned to adopt intuitive eating. It's no secret that I've had my struggles with food. And for many years I had disordered eating and I've mentioned that many times on here. Um, and my disordered eating very much came from the toxic side of the health and fitness industry and from diet culture, all that bad messaging I took in very, very much. Um, you know, my goal was to build muscle and to build a six pack and you have to eat a certain way in order to do that, which I did. But then after I decided to come out of that, I didn't know how to eat. And now I know that sounds ridiculous, but I, I didn't. I remember sitting there with my husband saying to him, I don't know how to eat because I'd been so indoctrinated into this bodybuilding way of eating and eating six times a day and weighing everything out and only eating at certain times of the day and all of that. When I decided to let go of it, I was a bit lost. So, how old were you at this point? I was forty, and until then, until you'd started on this bodybuilder's diet and all the exercise, had you had a fairly normal, straightforward relationship with food? So, from the yes, from the age of up till thirty-five, I had the healthiest relationship with food. I never thought about food. I've always been naturally a size 10 to 12. So I've always been slim, never really had to worry about my weight. My friends would all laugh that I would always order the extra portion of chips at the table and I would, you know, still stay the same and still be nice and curvy and everything else. I never really thought about it. But then something, after I'd had the two girls, something just clicked inside of me and I just went on this spiral for five years of addiction with exercise and disordered eating. And it got very, very dark and very bleak. And I'd never had anorexia or anything like that. I was just, I ate, like I said, I would eat certain things at certain times of the day. I couldn't eat out in a restaurant because I didn't know if it had a touch of oil on it. I remember going to my sister-in-law's once for dinner and she squeezed some lemon juice on my salmon and I ref- I didn't want to eat it. And I felt <gasps> like, and I, but I did eat it because she was like, she was so shocked that I, I could see in her face what she thought of me kicking up a fuss about this lemon juice, but I wanted to cry. Tell me, tell me in your head, in at that time, in your head, what is the thought process there? What did that lemon juice represent to you on the salmon? What what was that? What did that it, feel like? It meant that my uh, my six pack wouldn't be as defined. It meant that I was going to soften up all my muscle tone. It meant that I would be more wobbly. It was all about my weight. It was all about what I looked like. It was complete body dysmorphia 
mixed in with a lovely yeah. side helping of an eating disorder. Um, I, I guess the belief was if I can control my body and I can get my body perfect, then everything else will be perfect. I was a very young mom. I was running my own business. My husband was building his business and things, I guess, just got on top of me. Yeah. And that was my release. And, and the, the yeah. worst of it was that I, I mixed it up and I, I packaged it up into healthy eating. That was the worst part of it because no one could argue with it because I was super, super, super healthy, but it was obviously so destructive. Um, and I did it with a trainer. I had a trainer and I had an eating, an eating coach. I had someone telling me what to fucking eat, Lauren. Wow. I would go every week for a check-in and they would tell me what to eat and they would tell me what what to wear out. What kind of things were you eating six times a day? So I would start off with porridge in the morning and then at 11 o'clock, 11, two and five, I would have a sweet potato with chicken breast and green veg, only 80 grams of green veg. I even weighed out my veg. And then in the evening I would have, um, salmon, half an avocado and some green veg again. There were times where I would cut out the veg because I felt the veg made me put on weight. I mean, this is not, I'm (gasps) deadly serious about all this. I could tell you story after story after story about how disordered my behavior became around it because it was, it took over everything. So it wasn't um, even really the actual foods you're eating, because if you said to someone, have porridge in the morning, you know, eat six times a day, you're not starving yourself. You're not, it's, it's not a thing, well, I'll only have two nuts a day and that's enough for me. You were eating regularly and what you were eating was good, healthy, unprocessed, healthy food, but it was more about the psychology of it and the control. And I suppose you've answered my question, which was why, how can you get to 35, have this perfectly normal relationship with food and then get to that place. But I guess it was a way of regaining control. And I was taught it. It was an education. I was taught it from people that are in the health and fitness industry. This is what I'm saying. So a lot of the health and fitness industry, there's a lot of disordered mentality and disordered behavior around it, which I think needs a lot of fixing, but that's another conversation at another time. Um, But yes, the food it was healthy, but I would also then be allowed a cheat meal at one point in the week and I would save it for my Saturday night. So what I would do is I would get to like 5 p.m. on a Saturday and I would binge. And I mean binge until about midnight, one o'clock, because I knew that for the next seven days, I'd be back on the chicken and the sweet potato and the salmon. Mm. So there was, it, it was a cycle of restrict, binge, restrict, binge, restrict, binge. And it went on for years and years. So you got to this place where you're sitting down with Adam and you say, I don't know how to eat anymore. And then how do you go from that? Because I've seen the photos of you and, you know, I'm thinking if you're 20 and you're on Instagram and you're one of those girls who poses by the pool in a G-string, you might look at those photos and go, wow. When I look at those photos, I want to cry. Yeah, me too. You look ill, unwell, very, very ill. So how do you, what happened after that day? How do you go from that back to eating normally? It was a very long process and it's still a process, by the way. There's still areas that I need, that need healing and that need, Mm. I don't want to say fixing, that just need a little bit more attention at times. Mm. Uh, When we went into this, I don't know, 900th lockdown that we're in, my first thought was, right, I need to control my food. I need to just weigh my food and, uh, and, and I know how to counteract that voice now, but that voice is still very much there because it was there for so many years. Um, I had to let go of a lot of stuff. I had to adopt new behaviors around food. I had to learn 
how to eat again. And exactly what Alyssa says and what we've been talking about here and the beautiful book that Evelyn Triboli has written, Intuitive Eating, I literally learned how to listen to my body because what I did for those five years is I overrode it with my own preconceptions and ideas of what I should look like. So I think a lot of people's relationship with food is very much based on their weight, very much for women. Um, And I think their weight then determines their relationship with food. So for me, my understanding is the crux of it is you said when we went into this next lockdown, my first thought was I have to control what I'm eating. I have to measure my portions. I have to control it because I think you were feeling like everyone else is feeling out of control and food and what you put in your body is one of the things that you can control. And it's very similar to babies and toddlers. They have so little control over their lives. All they can control is eating, refusing to eat, sleeping, refusing to sleep because it's the only (laughs) control and power they have. So it's interesting that that's your way of trying to reign, trying to gain control, trying to rein things in and feel in control of an out of control situation. Yes. Um, and the one thing that I've learned more than anything with this process is the amount of things I had to let go of and the amount of things I had to unlearn. I had to unlearn that diet messaging. I still have to unlearn it every day because it surrounds us everywhere. And any woman you speak to is going to tell you about that she's put on weight or she's lost weight, or it's always a conversation. And that is very much diet culture messaging. So it's hard to rid yourself from it. Uh, the one thing that I had to do was get, was, was, take myself away from anyone who was in my life at that time or close to me in that life. I had to uh, not see my trainer anymore. Lovely girl. We really built a lovely friendship, but because she was part of that world and I just, anyone that was in that world with me at that time, I now, they are not in my space. I wish them well. We, you know, it's not like I don't speak to any of them, but I just, for my own healing, I couldn't be around that dialogue and that conversation anymore. And mm. actually, I'm really proud of myself that I did that because it was hard and it was bloody brave to actually stand mm. up and say, you know what? I choose my life. I choose to have quality of life. I choose to be two dress sizes bigger and much fucking happier for it. And that's what I really had to let go of. I'm, I'm so glad I met you after you were a size six. Do you know, I, I've, I've thought about this many times, funnily enough, Lauren. You and I would never, ever have been able to have a relationship with me back no. then because we no. didn't have anything no. in common. And no. actually, you coming into my life at the time you have shows me how healthy I am, how healed I am. And you're a reflection of that. You're one of the very many gifts. Oh, that's I mean a very it. beautiful thing to say. Thank you. I mean, but it. I only met you as a healthy, beautiful, fully functioning woman. And so I'm glad that you've come out the other side of it. And I think this is, it's a very interesting conversation and it's a very interesting week to do a practice on because I think there are so many women who are wrapped up in all of this stuff. And it's interesting for me because this week for me felt like your alcohol, not drinking alcohol yeah. week, like a cheat. This was a cheat week for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. because this is how I live, how I've always lived, how I function. I've done it all my life. I don't know any other way than to intuitively eat. And of course that's not to say that I don't moan to you. Oh, I'm a fucking fat bitch today. Cause I do. <laughs> and I, and I, and I do weigh myself and I will gladly tell you if I've put on three pounds, lost three pounds, but I, um, with relation to food, 
it is never ever a moral um a, a moral judgment for me. I have an abnormally normal relationship with food. <laughs> that is such a beautiful way of putting it. Beautiful. Exactly that. You have a, an abnormally normal relationship with food. Yeah. I mean, I, from my point of view, um, I don't diet. I'm, I'm not caught up in diet culture. I have in my lifetime done a week here and there of a South Beach diet. I fainted in the shower on day three. So that was the end of that. <laughs> no, seriously, seriously, day three. Uh, and I tried a bit of a bit of IF, um, but I don't I don't have any self discipline, so I I want to break the rules. Um, I do not punish or reward myself through food. I'm not an emotional eater. If I'm sad, I don't really want to eat. Um, I I don't restrict anything, and I do everything in moderation. So to me, there is no good or bad. There is just food. Um, I don't feel guilty after eating a dessert. Uh, look, I'd like to be half a stone lighter, but I'm not really willing to deny myself pleasure. Um, and I also think right now we are in the middle of a pandemic where you could get sick at any time. And I genuinely believe if you've got a, a few pounds on you, you're set up better I agree. for, you know, a flu, a bout of COVID. If you're seriously underweight and you lose half a stone, you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, I'm all right. So I, I genuinely believe that. Um, I also feel, because I love to cook, food is life and food is pleasure. And if you have ever unfortunately watched people around you, you love, die of cancer, you then begin to associate very thin with illness and death um, mm. and not health. So I don't see that as healthy. I see that as, oh, you look unwell. Um, and I eat from instinct. So sometimes it's not always particularly mindful, but I know when I'm hungry and I'll eat. That's it for me. It's as simple as that. So should we get on with how we found our weeks? Yes, I'd love you to go first. So I'm sat here writing the show. And as I'm getting into the research of what intuitive eating is, I realise I'm hungry. I've actually been hungry for about 20 minutes and I'm ignoring it because I do the intermittent fasting, you see. So I try and do uh, to eat from like 12 till 8. Well, it's 11.30. So here I am trying to stretch my body out till midday, but I'm hungry. So I'm going to go and eat first lesson of intuitive eating. So as intuitive as I am about my body, there I was completely bloody ignoring it because I'm still in diet culture. I'm still in intermittent fasting. I'm still and doing the IF. Well, the only reason I do the intermittent fasting, honestly, is because it gives me a lot more energy. Um, so like this morning, I ate at 10 o'clock before we got on this record. So, and I didn't do it for a few weeks and I felt dreadful but actually I am completely energized all day. And that is why I do it because I think it's good for my body. I, I also believe that whether I eat at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, it really doesn't matter. Just eat when you're hungry, basically. Yeah. I, well, it's now quarter to one and I haven't eaten yet today. Nothing at all. I've had one cup of tea. I'm not yet hungry, but I, I know I'm going to be hungry fairly soon. Yes. Okay. So there I was ignoring it. I ate. Um, good. At, but I then went downstairs and I thought, rather than just shoving my hand in the biscuit tin or, you know, the, the first thing that you can grab, I did take a moment to ask myself what I wanted. 
<laughs> Here's what I came up with. Yeah. This is the most middle class thing you're ever going to hear in your entire Come life. On. Come I on. wanted a chia seed vanilla pudding with berries and yogurt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very specific, but that is what I wanted. Very. Luckily, I had some soaked chia seeds in the fridge, so I made it up and it was absolutely delicious. Then, throughout the week, as I've been hurtling through my food, I remembered to stop and ask myself, was I full? And I did, especially with this chia seed pudding. Yeah. So I thought really like resentfully put the fucking spoon down and said, right, are you full? Just take a moment. Turned out I was full. Turned out. Okay. Yeah. Turned out I left my bowl and I didn't finish it. And I was very proud of myself. And within five minutes, I was fully full. So I thought, well, that's interesting. Now to be completely transparent, that was the only time I did it. The rest of the week, I did keep saying to myself through every meal, you need to stop and ask yourself whether you're full. And then I thought, no, fuck you. I'm enjoying it. I want to eat. So I did. So I finished my plate. That's that's what your body's telling you. No, my body wasn't telling me that. No, my body wasn't telling me that. I think that's part of the control is I must stop. I'm enjoying this and I'm eating and it's good, but I must now stop and ask myself, no, you'll just know. You put an extra bit of sausage in your mouth. You're like, actually, I'm done now. You would know. You say you would know, but I have overridden my body for so many years. And yes, I'm getting better at it. And yes, the last three and a half years, this is what I've been doing, but it it still needs attention and it still needs Mm -hmm. work. You know, there's still points where I have a chocolate bar and I think, right, I'm just, well, I've eaten that now. I might as well just have 20 more. And I obviously I don't have 20 more, but I would go and then have a whole sugar binge and then feel sick. And then my mouth is dry for the rest of the night. And it's disgusting. There is still that going on. Um, in, that's not my intuition. I don't know what that is. I know what you want to call it. Maybe it's like a little gremlin on my shoulder, but it's not my intuition because my intuition is telling me something else and I'm overriding it a lot. Mm. When I listen to it, I make very different choices. Good. But I'm not always listening to it. I find this quite a hard practice. Yeah, I can totally understand why you would find this a hard practice because it's actually something you're having to think about and learn. It's not instinctive. See, I kind of want to call this instinctive eating. It's a similar thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because to you, it's it's not. It's not just sitting there with something you do. To me, it's like, do you wake up in the morning and brush your teeth? Yes. This, this, this is how I function. So I, I struggle to even call it a practice because I'm not having to practice it. You're not. Like dry January yes. for me is not a bloody practice. It's like, exactly. okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. This was exactly. a cheat week for me. Exactly. But very that's hard what, for you. Again, you and I always come in from very, very different places, yeah. which is brilliant. And it's brilliant yeah. for our own research, isn't it? Yes. So... So, so there have been times where, so I'm listening to my hunger cues. That's not a problem. And I'm eating and yeah. I'm very much honoring my hunger cues. I'm yeah. very much honoring what I want to eat. I had a, uh, a beautiful lunch yesterday on a hollow roll and it was just with smoked salmon and a bit of egg mayonnaise mm. and of course the egg mm. mayonnaise. And it was just, it was yummy, yummy, yummy. And mm. I caught myself and I thought, my God, if this was me four years ago, I would have had a whole mental breakdown about eating this for lunch. But so mm. I, I have very much got the good and bad food 
out. I now eat everything. My daughter made a dessert on Sunday night. It was cookie dough. Well, that is just like heaven on a plate. Um, I would never eat a dessert on a Sunday night because, you know, you only eat that shit on a Saturday night and certainly not in the week. And that's not, you know, all of that conditioning and dialogue. It's such rubbish. And we all sat down at the table. We had vanilla ice cream. We had a big thing of cake and it was joy and pleasure. And I focused on the fact that she had made it and the family time. And I focused on so many other beautiful things to get in that moment rather than oh my God, this might make me a pound heavier tomorrow. I even took the cake around to my parents and I dropped it on their doorstep. It was just gorgeous. And so I thank intuitive eating for allowing me the space to explore that and enjoy these moments with my family again. Good. I think that's great. And I'm really glad if this week has in any way kind of helped you further your journey to complete wellness. It's made me look at it again. Which I don't, yeah. which I think is a great thing because I think I should always be looking at my relationship with food because it's a very important relationship, possibly one of the most important that we have. Um, so I'm always looking at adjusting it, growing it, healing it for sure. I think there's always work to be done there. So come Absolutely. on, tell me about your week. How did you get on? Well, I'll play you some of my recordings and you can make of it what you will. Having a pretty shoddy afternoon, truth be told. And um, normally I would have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea at this time, but I have decided to be mindful of what I'm putting in my body and skip the caffeine and go for a herbal tea, which normally I would avoid like the plague because most of them taste like a hay bale. But I've gone for a chamomile, spearmint and lavender tea and a little sit down. 20-minute episode of Shit's Creek for a bit of afternoon decompression. And I feel like that was a good and mindful choice. Beautiful. I'm not sure about so, the flavour tea you picked, by the way. No, what, you know what? I why don't you just tea. stick everything that you could possibly think of in one tea bag? It was actually quite gorgeous, surprisingly. But normally I would reach for coffee because that's what kind of I would have. Habit, yeah. Habit. I just thought I'd think about it a bit more. Is that is that going to serve me this afternoon? No, it's not. So I changed that up a bit. So Lovely. That was that. So I wanted to give an example of something I guess I would call automatic eating, which doesn't feel very intuitive. And that seems to happen to me um, late evening. If I'm on my own in the living room watching TV and I fancy something sweet, that happened tonight. So under the coffee table, there's a box of after eights left over from Christmas and you know they smell great chocolatey minty lovely and i i reached for one and bit the corner off and actually it tasted a bit stale and that that is not normally enough to stop me from yamming it in my mouth and then probably another one but i did take a moment to think about it probably because of what we're doing this week i thought mm, am i enjoying this no doesn't actually taste very good And I put it back in the wrapper and then I actually got the whole box and put them in the bin. And that wasn't out of guilt because I feel that chocolate is something naughty or bad. It was just a case of this is automatic eating. It is not intuitive. It's something I'm doing out of habit, boredom, association. And that's probably not a great thing to be doing. 
What a lovely example of how intuitive eating works. Um, and, and I think it was this week's practice that kind of made me focus on that in the moment. And so this is the last one. It's Saturday night, which is takeaway night since lockdown started because it gives me a break from cooking endless meals night and day. And we had fish and chips. And I wanted to think a little bit more about my cues for being full. Because, you know, when you've got fat fish and chip shop chips covered in vinegar and salt, they are yummy. And you can just carry on eating and eating and eating even past the point when you're full. But I put my fish on the plate. Actually, I was sharing fish with one of my sons. And I took a very small handful of chips and I ate what was on my plate and I thoroughly enjoyed it and it I finished it and I didn't reach for more not out of a sense of guilt but because I recognized that my body was full and I think I do that most of the time anyway it's just sometimes when something is really tasty you can just keep going and going and going at it and that that's not intuitive. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? That's just greed. And so I feel like this evening, I, I feel, you know, I really enjoyed everything I ate. But I feel I ate what I needed and, and no more. Lovely. You've actually gone through all the steps. I did go through all the steps because I'm very, very square and diligent like that. You're not square. You're committed. Let's reframe that. Oh, I love it when you reframe it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? Because someone who has a very normalized relationship with food, a very healthy relationship with food, there's still areas to look at and ways in which you can improve your relationship of with course. food. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not perfect. If I was perfect, I would, you know, A, not be needing to do this podcast and, <laughs> and you know, thinner and all sorts no, of things. No, 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 perfect does not no. equal thinner. Let's, can we just remove that from this always room. show? There's always room for improvement. I think with, with everything. Yeah. And I think it's always worth, um, being a little mindful and actually looking at things in the round and spending a bit of time and attention on them. And I think that's what this week has done for both of us. And for me, it's kind of made me not, I don't want to use the word perfectionize. What is the word I'm looking for? Hone in on what I already do. And I think for you, it's made you kind of look at. Is perfectionize a word? I just No, I've totally made it up. A friend. <laughs> no, I'm swapping it in for honing in. And I think from your point of view, it's been interesting to see that your stress and anxiety cues lead quite directly in a straight line to controlling your food intake. And, and, and also the other way, and also into the biscuit tin or into the chocolate tin, 100%. If I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed about something, my first thought is either, right, I can't eat, or I need a bourbon. You know. Mm. Shall we summarise? Please. What worked? Just thinking a little bit more about everything I eat. Not in terms of moral things, but just in terms of, is this serving me? Is it serving me well? Is it something I could refine? What worked for you? Uh, listening to my body's cues, listening to the hunger mm -hmm. cues, 
And then I'm going to move swiftly into what didn't work was not listening to the full cues enough. That didn't work for me. And you? Okay. No, nothing didn't work for me. This was, as I said, a cheats week for me. So it all worked. What did you learn, if anything? Just that not everything I put in my mouth is necessarily um, necessary. And <laughs> not Don't tell your husband that. <laughs> Oh, Nicole. That was a really cheap joke. I mean, you've lowered the tone now. I really have. Blondie, you can feel free to remove that. (laughs) So unnecessary. And my parents listen to this show. Tony won't be impressed. He will not be impressed. No. Um, Not that you should ever feel guilty about giving yourself a treat. I don't even want to use the word treat, but just have a think about, am I eating this packet of biscuits because it's four o'clock and I'm bored or am I eating them because actually I really want a biscuit? Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Lovely. Yeah. Well, it's the intuition of your body. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What did you learn? Um, I learned, I knew this, but I've relearned it, which I quite like doing on this show. Intuitive eating is not another diet. It is not another way to try and lose weight. Um, and if you go into intuitive eating with that mentality, then you won't reach all the benefits that intuitive eating actually has to offer us. And there, I think there are untold benefits because it gives you quality of life is what this does. Absolutely. So in order for it to work, here's what I have learned again. You have to be ready to let go of losing weight and being a certain mm-hmm. size. You just do. There is so much more to gain than just losing a few pounds and let's try yeah. and focus on what there is to gain um, and what it brings, not what it doesn't. And that this, it's the diet that helps you to quit dieting. I didn't write that. I came across that in my, in lots of my research. I don't know who said it because I would like to quote them, but it is the diet that helps you to quit dieting for good. And it's a beautiful practice. Yes. I like that a lot. What do you know about yourself that you didn't know before? That I am abnormally normal about food. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I think it's brilliant. Um, I learned that I still have more healing to do with my relationship with food, and that's okay. I'm all right with that. I still think of some foods as good and bad. I do. Uh, I can override it these days, but I do. I eat them, and I eat them without guilt, which I never used to do before, but I do still separate them in my head. The fact that I even mentioned the fact that my daughter had made this dessert and I ate it on the Sunday night, I'm still obviously separating it somewhere. Um, I think I will always want to remain slim as well. Um, and I don't know if that's conditioning or that's expectation of society or just bad diet messaging, or is that my choice? I'm not clear on that, but I, I feel the same, Nicole. I feel feel exactly the same. For me, I'm 10 to 12 and I wish to remain so. Yes. Yeah. But I, I, and the thing is, is that I feel better that smaller than I do bigger as, as do you. I just think that is a typical language of a woman of my generation and older generations. So yes, it is. It is. And I think I was thinking about exactly that this week because, you know, the women and the models who were really influential when we were young were very thin, very, very, very thin. And, and thin was good. And the thinner you were, the better you were and nothing tastes as good as skinny feels and all that. And when I look at my sons and the girls who they think are well fit, um, <laughs> oh, they, my, as my daughter would say, peng, that's oh, a word peng, Yes. Yeah. When I look at those girls to me, to my eye, they're what I would call 
big girls, what my mum would have termed, they're all their best. She's a big girl. And my boys call them thick and it's a compliment, T-H-I-C-C. And it means big boobs, big bum, big chunky thighs, little waist. I guess like Kim Kardashian figure. To me- That's the fashion now. I don't want to look like that, but I understand that the way that women look and what's comes it's very sexy. It's very, very sexy. It's, it's different and it is conditioning and it's exactly that. It's why are we told that this is the figure we're supposed to have? You know, yeah. Where does that all come from and how does that change over the decades? And I do find that very interesting. Well, there was a fantastic cover on Cosmopolitan last month. Was it this January? I think it was December or January. Um, and they had a large woman, I think she must have been a size 18 or 20, on the front cover saying, this mm-hmm. is health. And it's all about what healthy looks like now. And it's not a woman standing there with a six pack or a size four and just being yeah. completely minuscule because I have been there and that I was not the, I looked healthy, but my God, I was not healthy. I was depressed. Yeah. I was low. I was lethargic. I was tired. I was miserable. I was ratty. I was not functioning in life. I had to go to sleep every day at two o'clock to three o'clock because I couldn't function. So that is not health. And I'm much more healthy now and I'm energized throughout the entire day. And, you know, and I'm always feeling upbeat pretty much. Yeah. Bar lockdown. I mean, we're very very lucky because we have actually got the opportunity to talk to Evelyn Trebelet on a bonus show that we are going to put out for you this week. And I was thinking about a podcast that I listened to her on 10% Happier podcast, where she talks about a fuller figured woman, a large woman who's actually a marathon runner, but who was constantly fat shamed and constantly told you're so unhealthy, you're disgusting, you're so big. But this woman was fitter than like 99% of the population. And it was her talking, talking all about that. So I'm really excited to talk to her because she is, um, you know, the founder of Intuitive Eating Movement. So we, we're looking forward to bringing you that we, show. Yeah, we are so excited. We're doing our first bonus show, aren't we, for her because yep. she is such an important voice. And this is such an important topic because it's yeah. not just about how you eat. It's about how you feel about yourself and how you look yeah. at yourself and how you hold yourself. And that then determines your relationship with food. And let's be honest, you are what you eat, which we said at the beginning of the show. And if that is not functioning and that is not working properly, then it creates a whole host of other issues and problems. So is this something that you would recommend to your clients? Um, I think it's a beautiful practice. I think it's an important practice. It's not something I would recommend to anybody because I think people with disordered eating should see professionals who can advise what's correct and what isn't correct for them. This is a very, very intimate personal journey in the relationship with your body and the relationship with food. So I'm not qualified to say, yes, you should try intuitive eating. I can mention it to a friend and say, look, I've tried this. It's very beautiful. But if someone was coming to me in a coaching space, I would, I would never recommend anything to do with what they should do diet wise, because I've been there and I know how mm-hmm. complex and murky the whole subject is. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, it's complicated because I'm dealing with pregnant women who are putting on weight because they're growing a human being. And some of them are completely cool about that. And others do find that a struggle, an emotional, mental struggle. And 
are pregnancy cravings real? That would depend on who you talk to. I only wanted to eat rabbit and crushed ice in my third pregnancy. I know, fucking weird. That's really, um, really. So I, I'm not of the camp who would say, well, you're pregnant. So just let everything go and just eat everything all the time with the excuse. Because you don't actually need that many extra calories when you're pregnant or breastfeeding. But also it's certainly not a time to be restricting yourself or worrying about dieting. So I think if you are someone who is pregnant and has had a lifetime of dieting, it might be a lovely way to try and just accept your body and the pregnancy and try and give your body and that growing baby what it needs. Beautiful. And finally, is it coming in at the club? I would like it in the club if you Me would. too. Oh my God, I, this has saved my life. This has saved my relationship with myself, my relationship with food. So this Definitely is a big coming fat in yes then. For me. Yeah, it's a big fat Good. yes for me. Beautiful. And we are going to be back on Friday for our epilogue show with more news on intuitive eating. We are then going to be coming back on Sunday with a bonus episode with the founder herself, Evelyn Traboli, talking all about intuitive eating and her new book. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what we do on the show, please, please feel free to subscribe and write us a review on Apple Podcasts because it really helps us to grow and to keep bringing the show to you. If you have anything that you want to tell us, any practice you would like to try or just want to get in touch, you can email us hello at theselfcareclub.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. See you on Friday. Bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. The Motherkind Podcast explores how to feel happier, more confident, and empowered in your motherhood, even in our world of pressure, judgment, and comparison. I'm your host, Zoe Blasky, and every week I speak to an incredible expert to share actionable steps and powerful lessons to living your life as a mother with more joy and unapologetic confidence. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, just search Motherkind. <laughs>